you got to play good football and you got to finish it out. And, and uh, you know, we had we we won quite a few games, you know, late, and we had our chance again yesterday. It wasn't the way we had pictured it, but uh, you know, we were there with a chance at 140, whatever 148, and a couple timeouts. So. Um, Games are really hard and they're really challenging and we got to be on it. Well, Alonso or what? Luis Diaz, here he comes! Yeah. 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 Svensson! I can't even find the words, but Seattle's found the goal! Go stop Svensson! Stoppage time! Come from behind! John Strong with the call on FS1. Instant classic. The Sounders with a miracle comeback to beat Minnesota 3-2 to advance to the MLS Cup Final versus Columbus on Saturday. What a dramatic change over 24 hours at Lumen Field. Sunday, the Seahawks implode in a loss to the Giants ahead of that miracle last night in soccer. And good enough to join us, the aforementioned lead soccer play-by-play voice for Fox Sports, John Strong. John, how are you? Tom, I think the funny irony is, as I recall, the Vikings had a nervy win on Sunday because I saw when I was doing some interviews in Minnesota, their fans going, hey, guys, let's, let's just take it easy on our hearts tonight. <laughs> and then sort of the reverse happens. So it's it's kind of funny if you're a sports fan right now, you're riding the the wacky highs and lows, depending on your team. Well, completely. And, and look, I, I have I pull for the Sounders. I'm not going to deny that. I, I feel a little compassion, though, for those Minnesota fans. They were 15 minutes away from a terrific continuation of their season into MLS Cup. But, John, I want to say, first of all, terrific call last night. I mean, it it is so tough to be in that kind of environment and still be able to present an energy and an excitement that uh, you and your crew did. So kudos on that. But I'm curious. Let's go back to that 2-0 Minnesota lead with about 15 minutes left in regulation time. Did you see anything like what we saw coming? I mean, I think it'd be ridiculous if I if I was to try to claim, oh, yeah, no, we, no. I mean, for a team to come back from 2-0 down that late in a game, it, it just doesn't happen. And I think uh, Frank McDonald, longtime um, sports information guy in Seattle, he's sort of become a historian for Seattle soccer. And I believe I saw his tweet, I haven't circled back to it, that that was the first playoff game in Sounders history, as in 1974 history, mm. where they came back from two goals down to win. I mean, that, that gives you a sense of how rare it is, and it happened as late as it did. And yet, and it was what we were trying to sell, just mainly to not lose the audience. Um, you know, they've had comebacks <laughs> against Minnesota before, and and this this is a team that just got an incredible, a steely resolve. And it was really interesting because you mentioned there without the fans. On my drive home last night, down back down to Portland, I was listening to the um, the radio post game, uh, and and it was interesting the point a couple of those guys made on the Sounders broadcast that it normally, you know, a situation like that, you it's oh the crowd lifted us, the crowd pushed us, right? That there was none of that. It was the players. It was only them, and it was their attitude and their emotion uh, and their skill that pushed it over the line. That's what makes it more incredible. Because oftentimes, yeah, you know, you get. And as we said, I mean, listen, if you had 40,000 people in there, the, the roof would have come off, but it also would have spurred them on. They had to generate that energy and that belief themselves. And it's a testament to um, a lot of people there and what they have built and, and the success that they built in recent years. We don't see, you know, MLS is a league that's designed sort of like the NFL, really. Um, it's designed to prevent dynasties. It's designed to prevent teams from having sustained success because the salary cap and everything else, they want parity. 
And so to have a team that's been as dominant as they have, the Sounders over the last five seasons is incredible. And that was just the latest chapter. Now, you know, you sort of have to follow it up, right? I mean, we see those types of things in sports and you win that divisional playoff or you win that semifinal round and then you lose in the final and it's sort of like, oh. And if they can follow that sort of victory up with another title, I mean, you're talking about one of the truly special teams. I don't care. You don't have to be a soccer hardcore person to appreciate just how remarkable those sorts of things are and how rare they can be as a sports fan. So it was, you know, as you understand, sometimes you show up, you call a game and it's a dud and you put in all that work to prepare and you're like, oh, that was a waste. And sometimes you're lucky enough to be there on a night where it's like, man, that was that was really fun. It was really fun. Um, Do they have to win? Are they are they knocking on the door of being a defined dynasty? And is that door awaiting them in Columbus on Saturday? I got into an argument with Alexi Lawless about this last week. He's he's of the belief that you have to win three in a row. For me, three and four years is enough. Um, it would, in my opinion, if Seattle wins Saturday, they're the third dynasty in MLS history. The first was DC United in the first four seasons of the league existed. They won three titles. The next was the LA Galaxy that won three titles in four years with David Beckham and Landon Donovan and Robbie Keane. Incidentally, both teams coached by Bruce Arena. For the Sounders to now win three titles in four, as MLS is a lot better than, than it was as well. It's a lot deeper. Um, to, to me, it's the third dynasty in MLS history, and I don't think there's any real question about that. And, um, and, and so it's pretty cool to be able to potentially um, be calling that level of, of history, particularly, as I said, just there's the league is better. There's more eyeballs, you know, all that sort of a thing. Um, and it's not that this club were, weren't, weren't good before and weren't successful before, but for many years, the knock on the Sounders was they could do anything but win MLS Cup. They, they could do everything but win in the playoffs. And the fact that they've now rattled off potentially what they have, um, un- undoubtedly, this, this, and there's a bunch of other superlatives that back it up. This team and these players get their names written in ink in, in MLS history. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to give you another reason, John why I agree with you on this and feel free to disagree. Soccer, unlike NFL, NBA, um, I won't say NHL as much, um, baseball, you can dominate an opponent. I mean, dominate and still lose. Yeah. And that to me makes winning a championship even more difficult. If you dominate an NFL playoff game, you're going to win. Yeah. You dominate an NBA playoff series. You're taking that series. You dominate a postseason or even a regular season match, obviously, in your sport, you might lose. And so for me, I, I think that helps make your case. Yeah. And and even, you know, soccer, and it's a it's a 20-minute answer as to why, but soccer lends itself much more to upsets at other sports. Because you're right. If if you have the better talent on the field over a 60 minute football game, over 20 possessions per team, you know, it's college, especially you're going to win that game by and large NBA, however many offensive possessions there are over 48 minute game. If you've got the better players, you're going to win that game. Soccer lends itself to upset surprises, to leveling the playing field. And then also, and this is something relevant to MLS. You know, we think of the European soccer leagues, they don't have playoffs. Their champions are determined in a regular season. It's a double round robin. And so it really is 
that's that's part of why you have teams that win six or seven or eight titles in a row, which is what's the case in most European leagues right now. And in the Premier League, it's just there's really only four teams that are going to win because they can spend that much more money. They have that many better players and over a 38 game season, the cream's going to rise. And playoffs are the great equalizer. And it and it twists some people in knots in American soccer because of that difference. But that's where I say in a parody league, in a sport that lends itself to upsets, in a scenario where it is just, that's great what you've done the last nine months. What are you going to do tonight? To see the Sounders doing what they're doing, there's just so many levels to it. That is incredibly special and impressive. And I keep trying. I'm going to try again on Friday to nail down coach Brian Schmetzer to give me a real answer on this. Cause I'm trying, why, what is it about this group? You've had good players in the past. This team has been successful in the past. Why is it that these guys have been able to just on the night, they always find a way. Yeah. That, that, that's a really good point. Two more questions for you. And one is directly related to Brian because he obviously pulled all the right strings last night. Uh, and that's not necessarily <laughs> unusual for him. He, he's terrific. But two of his subs scored goals, scored two of those three goals last night. Talk about, uh, in terms of the soccer world, how Brian Smetzer is viewed. That's a really interesting question right now because that's the crux of his contract negotiation. Yeah. Um, this is a guy that, again, as Seattle people will know, I mean, he won titles as a USL coach. Um, it was sort of interesting that he wasn't given the reins when the team came to MLS, but he was allowed to be on Ziggy Schmidt's staff. And that worked really well. And then and then when things didn't work with Ziggy in, in the summer of 2016, Schmetzer came up and boom. I mean, uh, two titles in the next four years. But coaches like players, if they are American, they're not going to be regarded as highly. Jordan Morris does not get anywhere near as much respect as he would if he were like Nicoladero from Uruguay or like Gustav Svensson from Sweden. Coaches are very much the same thing that there is this belief that it just there's a weird fluky nature. It only works in Seattle. Um, and, and the contract negotiation angle of it is, is really interesting right now. Cause by the way, of the five playoff seasons that Schmetzer has coached, this is the third where he's coaching for his job in the midst of it. Bizarrely enough. Uh, now I actually think he got it wrong last night as did my broadcast partners to Holden. we talked about it coming out that, he should have made those changes at the beginning of the night. Kelvin Leardom should have started. Gustav Svensson should have now could not have, I don't think, because he couldn't have gone the distance. And Will Bruin is a, is a substitute. And maybe, if anything, Schmetzer waited too long. And I would expect to see those changes in the lineup for MLS Cup. But he made the moves. He injected the energy. Um, and I think a lot of it as well, beyond the coaching on the night, it's the mentality he creates within the team. We are the Seattle Sounders. We win games end of story and that that belief and that confidence and that mentality that permeates through the organization into the players as much as tactical choices and substitutions that's why the sounders won that game that's a great point uh and and props to adrian hanauer mm -hmm. primary owner and and on down because that is a a a culture that has been established and reinforced uh, numerous times with this franchise uh what should we look for Saturday as uh, Columbus goes uh, for the title against the Sounders, 5.30 Pacific time, by the way, on Fox. What do we need and, to watch for? Well, and I'll undercut you. I'll say, please join us for our pregame at 5, and then the kickoff yeah, will be at 5.30. Absolutely. So there you go. But um, th This game is fraught with storylines. Um, 
Columbus coached by Caleb Porter, former Timbers coach. Brian Schmetzer, Caleb Porter don't really like each other, and they don't really <laughs> try to hide it, and I love that. Uh, you've got Darlington Nagby and Fernando Adi, former Timbers on Columbus. It's a Columbus team that has gone through an interesting couple of years. Three years ago, they were close to being relocated to Austin, Texas. It was a real-life version of the movie Major League. Um, their players themselves said that at the time when we, when we saw them in the playoffs. New local ownership. The fans sort of made their voices heard. They kept the team there. Last year was a bit of a washout. This year, they've been one of the best teams in the league. They deserve to be in this position. So you've got a great battle there. This will be the last game of consequence at what we now know as Moffrey Stadium for sponsorship reasons. The original soccer-specific stadium built in 1999. There's an interesting representation here of the Columbus crew as as sort of the history, the foundational pieces, the Seattle Sounders as the the noisy neighbors, the brash upstarts, the expansion team. It was like, that's great what you guys did in the 90s. It was cute shootouts, you know, clock that counted down. This is real soccer now. Um, and then also the other one, which is really fascinating is, you know, at the end of the day, as much as soccer is a team sport, it comes down to stars. And, you know, the quarterback position, the point guard position, that's the number 10. Nico Ladero is as good as they have been in MLS history. Lucas Celerion has been one of the best additions to MLS this year for Columbus in that same role. Similar to Reynoso for Minnesota. You saw what he was able to provide involved in both of their goals. Celerion is going to be the same thing. And Jossie Zardis in front of him, like Jordan Morris, phenomenal player, does not get nearly the respect that he should because he is American. So, a lot of similarities between the teams, a lot of history between the coaches, some sort of big picture storylines, which I think is fun. We're aware, similar to a Super Bowl, similar to a World Series, people are going to watch this game that have not watched one second of MLS this year. So it's our job to help bring them up to speed. Um, so I, I love it. I think the Sounders are the favorite. Yes, they're on the road, but they're the defending champs. They've been there. They've done it. They've been through those battles. This is the, the first time this group, particular group of Columbus Players at an individual level have been at this stage as a group. It's their first time in this. That was the difference uh, in large part between Minnesota and Seattle. It might well end up being the difference again between Seattle and Columbus. Let me sneak one more in real quick, if you don't mind. In finals, whether it's a World Cup final, MLS Cup final, um, the, those, those finals can sometimes be very defensive in terms of style of play. Teams afraid to make a you mistake. You can say it in a better way. Finals are terrible games. Very often. Yeah. Well, I, I immediately go to the first <laughs> finals matchup between Toronto and Seattle, right? That was a dog. Yeah. I like the end result. It was dramatic, but it wasn't good. Yeah. It wasn't good. <laughs> do, you have, do you have much concern about that for this one? How, how, yeah, how, of course. Yeah. How I early mean, do you get a feel for that fairly early on 10, 15 minutes in, in terms of yeah. what kind of quality game you're going to get? Now, the difference is the, the Sounders themselves don't really – that's not their strength. They don't want the game to be slow and ugly. They want to open it up. And Caleb Porter has too much pride to play an overly defensive game. So I think it's less likely here. And I think that's part of why you saw five goals between Minnesota and Seattle. Those are two teams that sort of knew we want to come out to play. It's not – ugly games aren't really what we do here. Um, the, but to that point, Caleb Porter, more than any coach I've ever come across in soccer, is very Belichickian in his approach. His He will game plan for an opponent more than anyone else. He will identify what is this team's strength and how do I take it away. So in that regard, the game could bog down for that reason because Seattle gets stuck in neutral. And it will be that ability of the Sounders to adjust and define a plan B, which might 
help to get the game back into a higher gear. But absolutely, players inevitably in this situation are are at least as concerned about making the mistake and costing their team the game than they are. How do I make the play to win it? That's just human nature. And so you always hope for an early goal. You always hope to sort of get things rolling, get a couple fireworks early. Then we settle and we go. The longer it stays at 0-0, the more you start going, oh, where is this going? <laughs> Seattle and Columbus, hopefully they will uh, deliver an instant classic on uh, Saturday, 5 o'clock pregame, 5.30 kickoff on Fox. And leading the way, John Strong with the call, the voice of soccer for Fox Sports. John, really gracious with your time. We appreciate it. Have fun on Saturday. Thank you, Tom. Appreciate that. All right, let's bring in the regular crew. We say hello to former big league pitcher, Root Sports, Mariners analyst, Bill Kruger, and also with Root Sports and Cairo Radio, Seahawks pre- and post-game show, former Seahawks and Washington State wide receiver, Michael Bumpus. Guys, how's it going? Doing good. Doing all right, Michael. Michael's doing a lot better now than he was doing Sunday. On the post-game show after the Giants came to town and and put a stunning upset uh, victory over the Seahawks uh, on the board. Although I'll say, guys, I don't think it looks – I guess the Seahawks could thank the Washington Football Club for making it not seem so bad since Washington went into Pittsburgh and knocked off the Steelers. I know that's uh, of no value to Pete Carroll, Russell Wilson, and the rest of the crew. But, Michael – break it down to me so so here i am just on the outside looking in offensively of course it was the big story the inability to get anything going i found it difficult to just point the finger at at one element seemed like the offensive line couldn't block seemed like russell couldn't make the decisions he needed to made seemed like brian schottenheimer couldn't get into a rhythm calling the plays it just seemed like a big cluster um from my perspective you're the expert what'd you see i saw exactly that i'm glad you pointed that out people are actually calling I had someone text me and say, hey, if the Jets offer you the number one pick, would you give up Russell Wilson and give Trevor Lawrence? I'm like, what are you, what are you, what are you talking about? What are you doing? I mean, <laughs> people expect perfection out of athletes. They expect perfection out of coaches. It's frustrating. I get your frustration. But it was a group effort. There are offensive linemen who missed uh, picking up a guy. There are running backs who mixed, missed picking up blitzes. The the scheme, the attack in that offense didn't really suit what the Giants were, or were were trying to do. It was just a bad day overall. The only unit that had a good day, or two units, were special teams of defense. But quarterbacks should get most of the blame because they're getting paid the big money, $35 million Russell's getting paid. So naturally, that, that comes with a lot more responsibility. But when you look at the overall picture of this thing, that whole offense was broken. So they have, they have a lot of... Um, a lot of explaining to do this week before we get to see him again on Sunday. All right, let's talk. Let's dive a little bit um, deeper into Russell because the way he plays the game at times is both a blessing and a curse. And that's his ability to move around. It's his ability to make a turn a mess into magic. But sometimes in that effort to find the magic, he creates a bigger mess. And I think that's yeah. what we saw on Sunday. So, you know, I, I can live with that. But, but does he try to force the issue, Michael, too often instead of just going, you know what, I, I'd rather deal with third and five than third and 
15 or third and 20? Does, does he need to be a bit more aware situationally? I think if you look at that last game, you can say that and you should say that. You look at the game before, we were praising him because he took the ball and ran 10 times for 41 yards and it looked like he was taking what the defense was giving him. I, I always say that quarterbacks are influenced by their coordinators as well. They should be best friends. They should be tight. They go into the game trying to think alike. Quarterbacks have input on the game plan. So Shadi has to share some of that responsibility because if he's not able to get Russell Wilson to realize he needs to take these check downs or not to just look for DK down the field. You combine that with his play calling. He's the guy who's going to hold Russ accountable. Who's going to make him aware of his mistakes. And if he's not able to convey it in a way that Russell Wilson can't be consistent with it, then I say there's, there's something off in that relationship. They, they're going to look at the film and I feel like they bounce back. They typically bounce back. I believe Russell's 31 and eight after a loss during the regular season. So Russell has shown that he can bounce back. I hope they bounce back. And I think it's an easy fix. Sometimes they overcomplicate things. Well, you better bounce, bounce back against the Jets or, or there's going to be, they'll be rioting in the streets of Seattle. Yes. So there'll be 12, 12s everywhere. What I, I want to expand a little bit, Michael, on what you just talked about. And Bill, this is where I want you to jump in. The difference be, between being a guy in his first, second, maybe even third year versus an established veteran who has street cred and especially a guy of the caliber of talent and leader that Russell Wilson is. Is Russell Wilson a guy, Michael, who if he absolutely disagrees with what type of plays are being called during the course of the game, will we'll get, get on the phone with Schottenheimer and say, hey, look, man, it ain't working. I don't want to do this. I want to do something different. I mean, it, it, is that in his DNA, his personality? It's hard to say because I don't know Russell on a personal level. All I know is the guy that we see on TV and press conferences. But something tells me that he's probably like a passive aggressive guy. You know, oh, that ain't gonna work. You know, I don't think he's just gonna he's gonna call up and, and have a, a PowerPoint of things that he should do and why he doesn't like it. He he has earned the right to have a voice if he feels like it's not working. He should say something, but something also tells me that he likes the game plan because it allows him to display his gifts. You know, he's the best deep ball thrower in the NFL. I hope that he's able to do it because at this point of his career, if Russell's not able to be candid and honest with his offensive coordinator, then we have bigger problems. Yeah. And the reason I ask that is because Pete Carroll has made it quite clear that adjustments during the game that should have been made just never got made offensively. So I just wonder if there might be times in the future coming out of this that whether it's, uh, you know, Schottenheimer maybe giving up on a game plan a little bit sooner. And that's a really fine line because, you know, maybe it's just a tweak here and there other rather than a radical uh, adjustment in game where Russell goes, you know what, I'm, I'm feeling it. I am living it. Hey, shoddy, this ain't, this ain't happening. So Bill, my question though to you is, as and just talk about being a pro athlete, you know, you're not trying to step on anybody's toes when you first reach that, in your case, big league level. At what point do you feel comfortable enough where you feel like, you know, you can go to, in your case, a pitching coach, go to your manager and say, hey, I know this is what you want me to do, but I'm telling you, that ain't going to work. Well, I, I certainly think he can do that. 
and I, and, I, and I know that in, in the right situation, a professional situation, he is doing that. He's been around for a long time. I mean, he, he's got intimate knowledge of success. He's proven it. He's a, a clutch player. Uh, all those things suggest that he definitely has input and does provide that input. He's just a classy guy. He doesn't go to the media and, and uh, throw anybody under the bus. I mean, he just, he just too classy for that. And he's uh, willing to accept blame when uh, blame is, is to be had and for him to uh, have to wear it a little bit. I think that's, that's just the, the class act that he is. And he's a truly a guy that, that rebounds well and makes adjustments. So uh, I suspect that uh, it'll be much better this next week. They got a little easier opponent. Hey, the giants after a very slow start have been a pretty good team. Uh, even though their quarterback didn't play, there's not a lot of excuses for having a backup quarterback beat you at home and blah, blah, blah. But their defense is pretty good. Um, the only thing I watch with Russell is uh, sometimes I, I wonder about his clock in his head, you know, what his feet and what the clock in his head are saying. It's sort of like, you know, I can remember when, and this is a terrible example, but I remember sort of the end of my quote unquote, playing any more basketball in my life career. And I reached the point where I just couldn't guard anybody. I couldn't move my feet. And so I just wonder sometimes when I watch him and he was so amazingly elusive, but he's never been a speed burner, but you know, sometimes it looks like he tries to Fran Tarkenton and he just can't do it. And the defenses, not only are they, are they younger, they're getting faster. These guys are fast. They're big and fast. So sometimes I wonder if that, that clock between feet and head are working in concert. He does a great, he a great deep ball thrower, but the stuff in between Michael, you can, you can quote on this, but that's all cadence timing, passing that's that's done 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 with with a regiment in mind they need to run so he can play action so he can get get the extra step back to throw the deeper ball but the in-between stuff and the other stuff that we're talking about that's a timing thing right don't you have to be in the pocket boom 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 make the throw isn't that look look where you got to look look to the next one and boom you got to make the play right isn't that but that he's more of a Fran Tarkenton regroup regroup re reroute reroute make the big play that's kind of who he is right yeah, Bill, you're absolutely right. That intermediate short stuff, there's a lot of pre-snap. You're reading the defense. This is what I think is going to happen. This is probably where I'm going to go get the football off on time. Prime example of that, DK Metcalf had 80 yards. His biggest catch was on a five-yard speed out. It was a pre-snap read. Russ knew he was going to go there, gets it to him five yards. Now you let DK do the rest and be special. That's what I think they need to get back to. All right, let me, we mentioned the Jets are coming in, the, the winless New York Jets. Okay, they're going to be followed by Washington. Now, Washington all of a sudden seems like a much bigger concern because Alex Smith is playing at a pretty high level at quarterback and what a miraculous story he is, and good for him. I, I worry about him every Sunday that he's playing after that horrific leg injury. Um, but that defense that we saw against Pittsburgh this week looked pretty damn good. They looked like they could cause anybody's offense some problems. Then you got the Rams, and then you're going to close it out with the 49ers. So, Michael, how do you feel about this team heading into what Pete Carroll would describe as the final quarter of the season, that quarter where you want to elevate your game heading into postseason play? Man, it's crazy. If you asked me the same question last week, you might have asked me that question last week. I felt really good about this team. Felt they were getting healthy at the right time. Thought their schedule was going to um, favor them. Right now, I think they still have it in them. But I think this is when coaching is really going to come into play. Because on paper, they have the athletes. But if you can't communicate a game plan or an effective game plan, 
to your athletes, you can't expect them to go out and execute at a high level. You have to put a good game plan in place. Then you have to relay exactly what you want out of this game plan. So this is where coaching comes in. I think earlier in the season, that offense just had better ball players. Teams weren't ready for them to throw the football like they did. They had success. The film is out. You got eight, nine, ten weeks of film for guys to dissect and digest. So now this is where coaching comes in. How can I line up in this formation and have them expect one play and hit them with another play and then build off of that? So they got to get creative. And creative doesn't mean you're super complicated in your, your plays. It's just lining the right plays up at the right time and allowing your players to just react and play football instead of think. So let's talk about, Bill, a, a team's confidence when it's heading into a stretch run. So, you know, you, let's say, and you've been on a lot of different types of teams. Let's say your team, Major League Club, you're heading into September. Um, you know, the first four months of the season, you're, you're pretty damn impressive. You stubbed your toe, though, a lot in August. You didn't play your best ball, and now here you are on the cusp of September. Uh, is that a significant issue? Are the Seahawks potentially facing a confidence challenge right now? Because if you take a look at their record after the 5-0 and start, that's a sub-500 team. They're 3-4 and four in their last seven games. So who are they? And do you think there might be some self-doubt as to who they are? I think they're a confident team. I mean, if you were to draw the baseball analogy, you got a great starting pitcher, Russell Wilson. you got great starting pitching, okay? And you got, and you now have a much better defense. Jamal Adams is back. I guess Dun, will Dunlop be back next week? They're playing better. They got, uh, they got uh, Shaquille Griffin at, at a corner position now. I'm not going to try to recite all that they have, but they played better. Granted, the Giants weren't a great offense, but they played better. So to me, if their defense is playing better, so defense and pitching, that'll be my, that'll be my analogy. I don't think this team lacks confidence. Very confidence. This staff exudes confidence. And so does Russell Wilson. I don't think confidence is a problem. I mean, Michael touched on it. You're going to get scouted. You know, they're going to take away what you do well. How are you going to react? How can you adjust? You know, hopefully they can, they can gain a, a stronger presence on running the football and do some different things like, like Michael talked about, being able to uh, show one thing, do another. Um, I, I think this team is fine. I think they, they make the, I mean, just look at, okay, okay, four games. They're going to win two, right? They're going to win two. Now, can they win three? And what, how many do they need to win? Well, Michael, let me, let me ask you this. One, do you agree? Or do you think there might be a confidence issue? And two, will, will we have a, a chance to see the 5-0 and Seahawks team enter the playoffs? Or are we going to see a, a sub-500 Seahawks team potentially limp, limp into or miss the playoffs? No, I don't think there's a confidence issue, honestly, with – Russell Wilson, Bobby Wagner, Jamal Adams. You have guys on this football team who have had some lows and had some highs and, and kind of know how to climb themselves out of this. So I don't think there's a confidence issue at all. And you look at their remaining schedule. I've never been more afraid than an, from an 0-12 team than now. Like, I'm scared of the Jets right now <laughs> just because I feel like they're catching the Hawks at the right time. They just fired their D coordinator. Guys are going to be rejuvenated. They almost beat the Raiders. Like, I'm looking at this matchup, and I'm like, man, please do not sleep on these guys because they, they do have Sam Darnold, who's not the greatest quarterback when it comes to his numbers, but he's got arm talent. He can toss the ball out there and and, and catch a slip in a couple of times. So – 
I'm a little nervous about this game. And then after this game, you have Washington football team and the Rams. After this game, if they can get by this game, then I think they'll get by the Washington football team. And then the Rams just a toss up because you never know what's going to happen in that game. I think I still think they'll make the playoffs. They're not going to get the number one seed, but it's all about now. How do you make the playoffs? Are you limping in? Are you dragging guys behind you? Like, come on, we made it. Or are you walking in big chest, feeling confident, ready to go? The mental is going to be the biggest challenge for this football team after this week, no matter what happens this week, even if they win, like if they don't win in a convincing way or a way that they're satisfied with, we're still going to be sitting here asking questions. They're going to be doubting themselves a little bit. So they, they need some style points. There's a lot riding on an 0 and 12 <laughs> matchup this week. Hit that horn. <laughs> Got to get a new horn. Hey, let's, uh, let's talk a little baseball and Bill, the Mariners making some news of uh, Mitch Hanniger, who due to injury missed all of the uh, recently uh, completed shortened season um, struggled in 2019 because of those uh, injury issues Had a terrific 2018 season. So he gets a one-year deal believed to be worth uh, about $3 million. That, that's kind of beyond the point. The question is, how important would it be for this Mariners team to continue their rebuild if they can get a uh, beyond respectable season, uh, close to a 2018 caliber season from Mitch Hanniger? And how likely do you think that is? Well, this guy's pretty talented. Uh, when he's healthy, the problem is, is he just hasn't been healthy. He's had one year he's been healthy in the four that he's really been with the team. I mean, he can do it all. He can throw, he can run, he can hit for power, he can hit the ball in the ballpark. He's got some, he's got some real tools. He can play. Uh, he's been an all-star, but he's been banged up. I mean, he's a little, you know, you start calling him a little fragile you know. And, you know, there was a little bit of the undercurrent that maybe he was a little bit disenchanted about whatever, whatever it was that he was disenchanted about. I believe this wasn't actually printed, but I believe he turned down some multi-year money and then of course he got hurt which is just shame right that he couldn't have locked himself up but um you, you want to see him rebound he's an exciting player he helps him this year makes them a better team gives him another outfielder because really honestly they've got kyle lewis and they've got uh Dylan moore and he doesn't really play the outfield and then you got hanniger so they really need him to come in and play because they're not going to let kelnick come up too quick because they're going to keep his extra year in their pocket uh, so they, he won't play right away. So uh, to be honest with you, I hope he has a great season. I hope his career rebounds. I hope he can continue to be healthy and have a, have a, the kind of career that I think his talent deserves. But honestly, I don't think he's part of the future. I think he plays well. They trade him and we yeah, move on I can see that. for yeah. younger and we keep pushing, keep push kicking the coffee can down the road till we, we like what we got. Well, I'll, I'll say this. I was glad to see some baseball news because it seems to me it's been an incredibly <laughs> quiet Offseason. What happened to the hot stove league? I mean, the only thing I can think of is executives around Major League Baseball guys are somewhat hesitant because of COVID to do anything of consequence involving higher price players. Bill, do you, do you think that's what's what's going on here? Because I just want some baseball news to talk about, man. Hot stove league sometimes is better than the actual regular season. Part of it is uh, the unknown of fans in the stands. When you play that many games, uh, having uh, crowds is a big deal. A lot of it, uh, baseball serviced by, by the attendants, right? So there's an unknown there. And they're just, 
playing this game of chicken, you know, with the headlights, you know, and revving the engine at each other and who's going to flinch first. They don't want any, they don't want to set the market. They're hopeful that if they can drag it out with a very, very flooded free agent market, they can get guys to crawl back to them. Right. Now there'll be a few of those, the JT, the Ramutos and the, and, uh, you know, those kind of guys are, are going to probably go off the market, but it's going to be, uh, it's, it, you know, you need, you need guys like uh, Cohen from the Mets. You know, he's, he's a wild card. He's a multi-billionaire. He wants to spend some money. He wants to do it now, you know, so you need that push. You need that push from Cohen to kind of push the market along. Uh, baseball is coveting guys that, that have less than three years of service. And this whole attitude around, you know, if we're not spending with the Yankees and the Dodgers and the Mets, uh, then why spend it all? Look at what Tampa did. You know, they crawled in on a, you know, a peanut butter sandwich budget and almost won the World Series. So why shouldn't we be thinking that way? Baseball is the freest market there is. Yet, look at how they act. Yet in the other sports where there is a line, everybody's shoved up against the line as hard as they can or going over it. What is wrong with the game? You have too many have-nots that do well, and that makes the haves want to be like have-nots. Baseball is a little broken. They need to take and make and pay those younger players more money so they force these teams that have shoestring budgets to either sell the team or buck up and really they start servicing that audience of players so that they can't just sit on this $500,000 player and, and not uh, try to advance. So, I mean, I think it's a, it's a problem. It's a problem for the players association. I really do. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think it, the, in due time, these guys will, will sign, but it's going to be slow. Yeah. You know, who doesn't care about our complaining bill? our issues michael michael doesn't of care you know why michael doesn't care michael's he's a dodgers, dodgers fan he's a dodgers fan <laughs> he's, got a world, he's got a world championship he's just wondering if they're yeah. going to repeat that's his his issue they yeah. don't have a problem spending money i mean come hey. on they got mookie bets right michael you don't you're just like this is easy street for you no problem spending money but i did have to wait 32 years though so you know well I, your patience should uh... pay off don't tell mariners fans about your 32 year wait man they want they don't want anything to do with that so i made a mistake and brought that up in twitter and the mariner fans lit me up i deserved it though i'm like yeah you're right you're right yeah, yeah. plus you got that lakers championship to celebrate too so hey yeah, time now huh right this is Southern That's great. I know. Good for him. Well, I'm going to mention his Cougars in a second, so I'm going to bring him back down to the ground here shortly. <laughs> but before we get to that, it's time for your Stars of the Week, brought to you by Ecliptic Brewing. Pour some space on your face. Ecliptichbrewing.com. I'm in a little bit of panic mode because uh, when Michael and I spoke last week, and Bill, we're sorry due to technical issues, you couldn't join us. I referred to two six packs, which are now down to just a few remaining. So <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm kind of in that, ra that rationing uh, phase. Uh, for more on Ecliptic's outstanding beers, again, be sure to go to ecliptichbrewing.com. So uh, I'll tell you what, uh, Bill, let's start with you. Who's your star of the week? Well, I'm going to go basketball. Um, it's early uh, in the season, but uh, there's been an, a real standout performer, uh, the center for Iowa, Luca Garza. Yeah. I've been keeping up on him. Uh, he had, he's averaging 34 a game, almost 10 rebounds, two, almost three blocks. He's shooting over 80% from the foul line. He's making threes. He's, he's down by the well, making everything. Nobody can, can stop him. He had 30 against Western Illinois at halftime, ended up with a double-double with 35 points. 41, 26, and 35 in three games. 
I think he's the player of the year not at this point. Now they haven't really played anybody yet. They're going to play North Carolina tonight. So uh, let's see how the competition uh, and, and Luca Garza kind of match up as we go forward. Yeah. Hey, Michael, those are Bill Kruger numbers back in the day at U of University of Portland <laughs> right there, man. There we go. There you go. <laughs> impressive stuff there, Billy. Who do you got, Michael? I'm going to go with Ruggs, the receiver from the Las Vegas Raiders who caught the winning pass. And I want to point out, people, when you think about that play, people just highlight Greg Williams calling like an all-out blitz and Ruggs just being wide open. Yes, Greg Williams called an all-out blitz, but the route that Ruggs ran was beautiful. He ran like a, a stop and go and got the corner to bite, then he flew by him. And this dude ran like a 4-2. So if, if on that corner... I'm sitting at 25 yards and I'm backpedaling. I don't know what the heck he was doing so close to him anyway. But yes, Carr threw a nice football, but Ruggs' route was beautiful and it's fun to see. And he's a rookie. So a rookie to have make that type of play and have some success early could help his career a lot. I got to go with Ruggs. Yeah, well, it was that play that uh, cost Greg Williams his job as defensive coordinator um, with the Jets. Or maybe that was the straw that, that broke the camel's back with him there. I'm not... I'm not sure, but I will say this. Any day the Raiders win is a bad day for me. I've, I've always despised that franchise. That goes way back to my, my days as I'm going to date myself growing up, a fan of the Jets, Joe Willie, Namath, Broadway, Joe, wrote the book. I can't wait till tomorrow because I get better looking every day. That's Joe Namath. <laughs> Those are the Jets I love, and they haven't won jack since they uh, <laughs> took Super Bowl three. But uh, two excellent choices. My uh, star of the week, and we're getting back to that audio we heard off the top, that dramatic, miraculous win in the Western Conference uh, title match for the Sounders last night over Minnesota, 3-2, down 2-0 with 15 minutes left in that match. And you're thinking, ah, yeah, it's possible. Well, it happened. And the biggest reason it happened, and Michael, I told you last week, and we, you agreed with me, that there's no better coach college or pro in the Northwest than Brian Smetzer, the head coach of the Sounders. So last night with his team in a do or die game down two goals to nil with 15 minutes left, he starts his substitutions. Two of the three goals were scored by players that Brian Smetzer subbed in to that game, including nice. the game winner by Gustav Swenson, with about a minute left in extra time. Sounders win 3-2. They advance to their fourth MLS Cup final in five years. If they win at Columbus Saturday, I think you can officially stamp them as a dynasty in Major League Soccer. Phenomenal stuff last night. I was losing my mind watching the game all by myself up in the bedroom. The family's wondering what's going on with me. But I'm telling you, it was, it was just... From a watching that game as a fan last night and what they did, I, I was just thinking, can you imagine how bonkers man Lumen Field would have been packed with Sounders fans um, watching that comeback? So uh, three terrific stars of the week this week, brought to you by Ecliptic Brewing, out of this world beer, EclipticBrewing.com. Final couple of minutes, and, and Michael, I just wanted to get your thoughts on um, as, as college basketball and college football both have these massive struggles um, with COVID. I mean, your team got like blitzed early down at SC, blowout loss uh, to the Trojans. Uh, Wazoo's going to host Cal this week. Uh, UW, another big halftime deficit, uh, nearly 
uh, came back last week against Stanford, but lost. They're going to play at Oregon. I want to jump past that. I, I just feel like, and I'm not, not saying this to be a wise ass, I almost think we're at the point where the college football, let's just shut it down and let's just have Alabama play Clemson and be done with it. <laughs> now, I know that's going to piss off Notre Dame fans, but the only reason Notre Dame beat Clemson is because Trevor Lawrence didn't play in that game. So let's keep everybody safe. Let's put Clemson and Bama in two-week bubbles before a championship game and just let them play. Let's just call it good. You know, there used to be a time when a college football champion was crowned simply by a vote. Yeah. Just a vote. So let's compromise and end this and end just this chaos that's going on as we learned today that Michigan and Ohio State called off because too many COVID cases in that Michigan program. What do you think? Yeah, with Michigan and Ohio State, with that game being canceled, I believe Ohio State may not be eligible to even win their conference yeah. anymore. And if you can't win your conference, um, I don't think you deserve to, to even be in the playoff. Which, But you look at their, their roster and their talent, they're probably a top four team in the country. They probably would go to the playoffs. Uh, but at some point, let, yeah, let's, let's go back. You know what we do? We go back to the BCS days. Let the computers figure it out. And throw all the data in the computer just for this year. Why not? It's 2020. See what they come up with. And if they can't play, then we'll just get two players from each team to play it out on video games and figure it out like that. So <laughs> a champion is crowned. There it is. Maybe 7v7. Maybe we split the difference and just do it that way. But uh, maybe some system... To, to pick a final two. Uh, I don't know. I, maybe they'll get to the finish line going through all this. Uh, Bill, what do you think? How do you, how do you feel like all these adjustments, you know, Gonzaga and men's basketball's dumped, uh, lost quite a few games, uh, including that matchup uh, over the weekend with Baylor one versus two, uh, the Huskies, maybe to some degree a blessing because they're horrible. They've had games wiped out. I mean, it seems like everybody has. Yeah, you just have to kind of keep weathering the storm, you know, uh, not as many bodies in basketball. Uh, I don't know if that's good or bad. I think it's good. Um, they're, they're aiming to do something, the, the big dance in one, one place, one location, which is kind of crazy, but that, that seems to make some sense. They got a little more runway than football does. They have a little bit more flexibility than football does. So I don't know. I mean, I, I just try to stay optimistic and hopeful, uh, with, with college basketball. I love it so much. I will say this, I make a comment that's not, not necessarily COVID related, but Gonzaga, they are extraordinary. I'll tell you that this, yeah. it, it, let me give you, let me couch that just for a second for you. When teams like Kansas, when teams that are elite, top five type teams are going to have to play like the mid-major against Gonzaga, we hope we can make shots. We hope we can disrupt the tempo of the game. Gonzaga is imposing its will like a thoroughbred, like a North Carolina, a Kansas, a Duke. That's who they are. Everybody that's playing against them is going, gee, I hope we can make threes. We'll take a lot of them. I mean, yeah. isn't that just bizarre? This yeah. is a high school gym in a nowhere's town. <laughs> back in the day, I played in Kenny Pavilion. Okay, we were a much better team back in those days than they are today. But they have done something that is just beyond incredible. It's beyond incredible. Yeah, it's great. It's stuff. like Hoosiers, where you have no classification and they go and win the championship. But they do it over and over and over again. Final thought on them, real quick, and a big reason why Jalen Suggs. This kid is unbelievable. <sighs> Let me tell you something. I think one of the reasons you, you hope Gonzaga in, the, in this college basketball season is played because that kid's not going to be here for a second year. He is NBA ready right now. He is a phenomenal talent and um, just special to watch. Guys, great stuff as always. 
That's going to do it for this week's edition of the 206 Sports Pod with Michael Bumpus, Bill Kruger. I'm Tom Glasgow. Guys, thanks so much. We'll do it again next week. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Tom. Michael. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. Thank <laughs> you.